Let us then return to Acts chapter 5, to these verses that we read. These verses will be the focus of our meditation this evening. The title for our sermon is Suffering for the Truth. Suffering for the Truth. This is something that the early church had to do. And it's very interesting as we look at how they undertook this persecution. Last week we looked at the very, very uh, sad incident where Ananias and Sapphira lost their lives. It was a heavy judgment upon them by the Lord because they lied to the Holy Spirit. They tried to make on as if they were something that they were not. And God made an example of them being right at the beginning, as it were, of the infant Christian church, God was telling them that he wants holiness among his people. And a terrible judgment fell upon them when they were both suddenly struck down dead. But the verses following, from verses 12 to 16, tell us that the church continued to grow and to prosper. And the great fear fell upon the church and the people outside of the church when they heard what had happened. What does it say there in verse 13? And of the rest durst no man join himself to them. They were not inclined to join themselves to the church, but the people magnified them. And believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. It's quite interesting if you look at biblical facts, and if you notice these things, this is the first time in the book of Acts that Luke mentions that women were also converted. We know on other occasions there were plenty of conversions, but here he says that women also were converted. And there was unity and harmony among them. And the apostles were doing wonderful things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was so that they could hardly go around the street or on the pavements, as it were, because people were seeking to be healed uh, by them, even as what we're found here was a, a kind of superstition that Peter passing by might overshadow some of them and somehow they believed that because of this, they would be healed. Now, of course, the Bible does not say that happened, but that was the intention of some of the people, that even the shadow of Peter might fall upon them, and they would believe that that was enough for them to be healed. Well, because of the success of the church, it brought about persecution again. And this is what we want to concentrate on upon this evening. And basically, I have four things that I wish to highlight from verses 17 to 28, or 17 to the end, I should say. From verse 17 to the end, there are four things that I wish to highlight for your edification uh, this evening. What do we notice first then? Well, we notice first uh, from verses 17 to 28, we have attacking the truth. 
attacking the truth. The high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. This was too much for them. They were the, the leaders. They were the Sadducees. They were the ruling party in the Sanhedrin. They had power. They had honor. They had influence. And they were not happy, and that's to say the least, concerning what the apostles were doing by the preaching of the gospel and how the gospel cause was spreading and growing and becoming a real threat to them, a threat to their, their livelihoods or to their position, and they did not like this at all. And the council, the Sanhedrin, basically had three reasons why they detested the apostles and what they were doing. Now, what are these three reasons? Well, the first reason we could say is that Peter and John had not obeyed what was said to them during an earlier interview with the Sanhedrin. In chapter 4, verse 18, here Peter and John were called before the Sanhedrin. And when they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And therefore they declared there, when they first met before the Sanhedrin, that they would not obey the command. The Lord had given them a commission, and they were going to fulfill it. And we shall look at that later on. But this is one reason why the council rose up against the apostles, because they did not obey them. Instead, they rather obey God. But there was another reason. The Sadducees were a group of people who we would describe today as liberal. They didn't really believe in the supernatural. They didn't really believe in angels. They didn't believe in resurrection. They believed that life is life, and when you're dead, it's all over. They had no concept of people rising from the dead. Well, what were the disciples doing? What was the essential message of primitive Christianity? It was surely Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Jesus Christ, him crucified, him slain, him put in a tomb. And on the third day, he arose on the first day of the week. And therefore, their message was completely contrary to what the Sadducees were teaching and believing. And therefore, this was another reason why they were out and out against the apostles. And they were filled with indignation. You know, the, the religious leaders, they had many things against Jesus. But one of the things they had against him was they were envious of him. And it's exactly the same for Christ's followers. They could see that the apostles were making inroads. They could see that the apostles were gaining more and more disciples. And their old way, if you like, the old school, it was failing. It wasn't attracting anybody. It reminds you of what Jesus said 
new wine cannot be put into old bottles. New wine must be put into new bottles. There can be no compromise. Well, these were reasons why they began to attack the apostles, because they just basically did not like the success that the apostles were knowing as they sought to take up their commission. The text tells us that the apostle that they took them quietly. They were they were they were teaching in the temple, and the council went to get them. And because of the people, they feared the people, they took them very quietly. And the, the apostles did not protest. They stood before the Sanhedrin. And you know the outcome. They were put into prison. Simply because they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were faithful to that commission that Christ had given to them. It's very interesting, friends, when you think that the Sadducees did not believe in angels. But when the apostles were put into prison, it was an angel who, sent, who was sent to take them out of prison. And this was more than just Peter and John on this occasion. It was other apostles. They were all put in prison. And here the, the Sadducees thought that by what they were doing, they would be able to silence the cause of Christ, the word of God, by their means. Well, we'll find this, friends. We'll find this if we're true-hearted, genuine Christians, that the truth will always be attacked. You don't have to be a preacher of the gospel but if you're a private Christian and you seek to live a life in accordance with the Word of God and you believe the gospel, and when you will get opportunities to be able to speak to maybe your, your husband or your, or your wife or your son or daughter or your grandchildren or your neighbors or whatever, you will find that truth will be attacked. People don't like it. But we must be faithful. They were faithful. Even although it was attacked, they did not turn their backs upon it. They continued, and they were determined to fulfill their commission. So don't be surprised, but be faithful. That's what's required for suffering for the truth. Secondly, we have in this section from verses 29 to 32, what do we have there? Well, I put it to you, we have, they were affirming the truth. Here, they were affirming the truth. Who was affirming the truth? It was the apostles. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, much as what he said before, we ought to obey God rather than men. And what does he do? Does he tone down his message? Does he make it more palatable to the Sanhedrin who already heard these things? No. He brings it to their attention. He again relates the gospel story. He tells them about the Son of God who came down from heaven. He tells them that this Jesus whom they crucified came down from heaven with the authority of God and the very fact that he's alive demonstrates that his work was acceptable and that he was and is the Son of God and he is the Savior of God's people. They did not flinch. 
They did not change their stance. They spoke the truth, and they left the results to God. This is what they did when they were suffering for the truth. They simply affirmed the truth. They were eyewitnesses. They couldn't help but speak about the things that they had seen and heard. It was flesh in their hearts and lives. They were living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And no counsel, no matter how powerful, was going to silence these individuals because they had a commission from Christ the Lord. And by what was happening, it was evident that this one that they had crucified was indeed Lord and Christ. And he was performing these miracles and adding to the church daily such as should be saved, demonstrating that this Jesus whom they had crucified was truly alive and well and working in their midst. Well, what would we say about them today? Well, we would just simply say they stuck to their guns. They would give no quarter. As one commentator said, they were not diplomats, but ambassadors. If they were diplomats, they would try to please everyone. And there is a place for diplomacy. But they were not di diplomats. They were ambassadors. And the Christian is an ambassador. He's an ambassador for Christ. He's Christ's ambassador. Christ owns him. And he has a message, and he is to, to declare that message, and he cannot change it. He cannot tamper with it. He cannot negotiate. He cannot barter. That's what happened with the disciples. There before this council, who, humanly speaking, had power over them, but they were going to remain true to their Lord and reaffirm the very things that would upset those who were investigating them. Now, this really takes courage. But you know, when someone's taken by the truth, when he is captivated by the truth, as indeed a Christian should be, when that happens, friends, you can be as bold as a lion because it's a truth. And God is truth. And God will own his truth. And therefore they were prepared to speak the truth. Yes, we do believe they spoke it in love. But nevertheless, they spoke it truly, clearly, pointedly, plainly, so that all of them could understand. And they left the results with God. But more than that, not only did they outline the basics of the Christian gospel, and I do believe that in Luke's account here, we haven't got all that they said. We simply have the bullet points, if you like. But they would have outlined the gospel. And importantly, they would tell these individuals who had crucified Christ, who were responsible for the death of the Son of God, that they were to repent and they were to believe the gospel, even them. And it's true exactly for ourselves also. 
We may not be the Sanhedrin. We may not be the high priest. And we may not have the power and authority that these individuals exercised. But if you look, and if you look and examine as to what their crime was, you can commit exactly the same crime. What did they do? Yes, they crucified Christ. But in essence, they rejected him. That's what they did. Oh, it was a terrible deed. We're not going to deny it. They, hand, they handed him over to Pilate and they demanded that Pilate would crucify him. But in essence, when you strip it all off, it's rejection. And people today can fall and commit that same terrible, terrible crime of rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. But even to Christ's rejectors, even on the Sabbath evening, there might be some Christ rejectors in, in this building or listening. Well, we will press the claims of Christ upon you again. And we will tell you that God commands all men everywhere to repent. Even those who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Well, thirdly, we have a very incident, interesting incident here. From verses 33 to 39, we have Gamaliel. And what do we have here? We have here someone who is avoiding the truth. He is avoiding the truth. We are told here in verse 33, they wanted to kill the apostles. They were cut to the heart with what the apostles had said to them because the apostles had remind them, reminded them of the terrible nature of their crime. But in verse 34, there's, then stood there at one in the council of Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law. A Pharisee was a different branch, if you like. The Sadducees were, were liberal, but the Pharisees were regarded as legalistic. They were ones who were very particular about the law of God and how it should be obeyed. And they were so particular that they tended to add to the law of God. So you have someone in an opposite camp here and someone who is highly regarded by all and he stands up and when you look at what he says on, at a face value level, you begin to think to yourself, well, here's a wise individual. Is this not someone who can be somewhat commended? What does he say, for instance, in verse 38, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest haply you be found even to fight against God. Now you'll find there is some elements of truth in what he has said. But his approach was wrong. 
Did he not classify Christ with two rebels? Does he not mention two individuals? And he looks at these two individuals and he sees, we don't need to read it, but he looks at these two individuals and he relates their history, how they did this and how they led a movement for a period of time and how so many men gathered with uh, these rebels. But what happened? It all petered out. The leader and the rebels were gone. And he was associating Jesus Christ and the apostles along with these rebels. Well, the evidence was completely and utterly contrary to this. The Christian story is a unique story. The Son of God has come down from heaven like no one else has ever done. The Son of God ministered and worked in, the, in, in Israel. He performed miracles. He demonstrated time and time again that he was the Son of God, for, for he couldn't possibly do what he did unless he was the Son of God. And he was crucified, and he rose again. This never happened before. Why in the world would Gamaliel associate Christ with these rogues and with these vag vagabonds? It was only because he discarded the information. He set it aside, the evidence he did not consider. He avoided the truth. And basically his philosophy was, well, troublemakers come and go. Just be patient. In a few months, in a year or so, this will all boil over. It'll all be forgotten. You'll be back where you were as kingpins in the religious world. You won't need to worry about these apostles because they will have gone the way of all the earth, of all others who sought to rise up and make a name for themselves. You've nothing to worry about. How wrong he was. And that's why we say that this was a man, bright as he was in the, in the things of God, he was one who, who trained the apostle Paul, we read. And therefore he had a great amount of knowledge and wisdom, and he was skilled in the scriptures and in theology, but he discarded the, the information that was before him, and he misclassed the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles. And he was one who is a classic example of someone who is avoiding the evidence, who's avoiding the truth, who will not come to the true decision. And I wonder tonight if this has hit the heart of an individual. You think you can be neutral over these things. Well, you cannot. Because this man made a decision. He said, wait and see. But in actual fact, he said, no. That's what he said. And there may well be people here or people listening, and they're exactly the same. They are avoiding being confronted with the truth and with the evidence of Christianity. And they will not lay hold on Jesus Christ. They will not come to him. And somehow they think that they can be ones who can avoid the truth and its implications without getting involved themselves.
In verse 39, for instance, he says things that are actually quite good. But if it be of God, you cannot over, overthrow it. That's true. But what does he say in verse 38? For if this counsel or all of this work be of men, it will come to naught. That is not necessarily true. It might be true on occasions, but it's not always true. How can I verify this? Well, you look at false religion. We are awash with false religion. We see mosques being built continually in mosques, springing up all kinds of places. False religion, which is not of God, is growing and it is flourishing. You go to some of these mosques and these, these temples, you see the temples of the, the Mormons or whatever, you see the Jehovah Witnesses and their halls, you see their lush and beautiful buildings. They're not like this building here on many instances. They are like palaces. Now that is not of God. And you can see that on many occasions, false religion in all its variety and all its form is making far more progress compared to the gospel. And therefore, what he says here is not always right. For if this counsel or of this work be of men, it will come to naught. All false religion is from men. And yet we see it flourishing. This man here, his real problem was, he did not fully embrace the evidence that was before him. And you can fall into that trap because the evidence of Christianity is clear. Christianity saves. Christianity changes people. Christianity is the power of God unto salvation. Christianity, true Christianity, when you put your faith and your hope and your trust upon the Lord Jesus Christ, changes an individual. And that individual now has peace with God. Therefore, the Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. False religion cannot give that to you. No matter how well it prospers, no matter how beautiful their buildings might be, it cannot give you that. Only Christ can. What about you then this evening? Are you avoiding the implications of the gospel? Because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ demands a response. And we can only respond in saying no or embracing him. We cannot sit upon the fence. There is no neutrality with Christ. Well, fourthly, briefly, we have announcing the truth. Verses 40 
to 42. They were called before the council again, having been miraculously released from prison. They were called before the council. The council listened to the the advice of Gamaliel, and instead of slaying them, they were simply beaten. And they were commanded that they should not speak in the name of the Lord Jesus and let them go. What did they do? How did they respond? Well, first of all, friends, they responded by rejoicing. Oh, they rejoiced. They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. Here are the apostles, and probably there would have been some disciples with them also. Here they were. They were rejoicing. Why were they rejoicing? They were rejoicing because they were considered worthy to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, naturally, we would recoil from this, but because of Jesus Christ, because of what he's done, because of what he's done for his people, because of the blessed future that lies ahead to those who belong to Jesus Christ, they are, they are able and they're willing to endure persecution and suffering for his name because they recognize that no one has ever suffered like the Lord Jesus, none. And the very fact that they suffer for him approves that they are truly his disciples because this is part of discipleship that you will suffer for him. We don't court it, but it will come. And they rejoiced in it. They considered it a worthy thing to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus. Many people suffer this today, friends. They suffer for their own sins and their own bad behavior. But the Christian is, rejoices when he suffers for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his cause. And it goes on. They did not obey the command of the Sanhedrin. They were to continue to speak in the name of Jesus. Daily in the temple, we're told, and in every house. They, were, they didn't confine their, their preaching and their teaching to the temple. They went out into other people's houses, and they, what did they do? They spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. They spoke of what he has done because they were overwhelmed with him. Their heart was full of Christ, and they wanted to impart that message to anyone who would hear. And they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. They continued, therefore, to announce the gospel. They had a message, and they would not deter from proclaiming it. This was the sum and the substance of their message. This is what they taught, and this is what they preached. It was a person. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was that preaching that the Lord continued to bless. And we are inclined to believe, friends, this is the preaching that the Lord will still bless teaching and the preaching concerning Christ, concerning his person, and concerning his work. Well, they suffered for the truth. The truth was attacked. They affirmed it. 
The truth was avoided by Gamaliel. But come what may, they were going to continue to announce that same truth. Amen.